Before we get started with the sermon, I want to make just a couple of comments about the, the gospel reading for today. Nowhere in the Old Testament is anyone ever healed of blindness. Many miracles are done in the Old Testament, but healing of blindness just doesn't happen. It was something only God himself could do. It's, it's up there on the same level with the resurrection, if you, if you want to know the truth. And the Old Testament prophets predicted that someday the Lord himself would come. He would show up, and he would deal with the blind. He would heal blindness. And it wasn't until Christ came that those prophecies were fulfilled. And not only did Jesus heal blindness, he healed it a lot. It is the most common miracle recorded in the Gospels. And it's fascinating about how our language concerning this differs from that of Jesus. We refer to the healing of blindness as a miracle because from our perspective, it is. But Jesus refers to it simply as a work. We must work the works of him who sent me, Jesus said, while it is day. To Jesus, healing was as simple as you and I doing something at work, like sending an email or making a phone call. We pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Back in 2008, the American Psychiatric Association published a book titled, Bad Men Do What Good Men Dream. A forensic psychiatrist illuminates the darker side of human behavior. It's written by Dr. Robert Simon. He is a forensic psychiatrist and he works with violent criminals, people whom you and I would dismiss as monsters. And his conclusion is that these violent criminals have much more in common with us than we would assume. He writes that all of us have a dark side and that all of us have some of the same evil impulses as the criminal, the only difference being the criminal acts on those impulses. But the same impulses, the same desires are present in each of us. That's his conclusion. And I think Jesus would agree. In the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord teaches that anger is no different than murder. He teaches that lust is no different than adultery. Because the Lord sees, not as man sees. You and I look at the outward act. The Lord looks at the heart. Eleazar Wiesel was a survivor of the Nazi Holocaust. In the late 1950s, he wrote a horrific memoir of his experiences, appropriately entitled Night. Wiesel admitted that he had a hard time finding a publisher for his work because people simply did not want to hear about what really happened. 
The Diary of Anne Frank was about as far as readers were willing to go in those days. The truth was simply too painful for others to hear. And I think the most horrifying thing about the work of Elie Wiesel or Dr. Simon is that it causes us to confront our own nature. No matter how much we try to separate ourselves from those bad actors of the past, God's Word reminds us that there is little, if any, daylight between them and the rest of us. We are all children of Adam. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Page 9 in your bulletin, your sermon outline, Roman numeral 1, God's diagnosis of humanity is darkness. And Paul writes in our epistle reading, at one time you were darkness. Now he does not say at one time you were in darkness as if you were somehow distinct from it. No. He says at one time you were darkness itself. That's much more serious. Letter A, darkness results in spiritual blindness. You can't see in the dark. You're blind. When you're in spiritual darkness, you are spiritually blind. Or you're ignorant. That's another word for it. Darkness results in ignorance. It results in unbelief. Darkness is the absence of light. It is the absence of faith. And darkness, at best, is characterized by ignorance. For example, just a couple of weeks ago, we read about Nicodemus. The teacher of Israel, he's called, and he comes to Jesus by night to talk about God. But he's ignorant of the true nature of God, according to Jesus. Now that is darkness at its best. At its worst, darkness is willful rebellion against God. And we see that in the Gospels. When Judas leaves to betray Jesus, John writes, and it was night. Letter B, darkness equals the powers that oppose God. That would be sin and evil. Number one, sin is human rebellion against God. And you see that in the Pharisees' hostility toward Jesus in our gospel reading for today. That's rebellion against God. Number two, evil is superhuman power that seeks to overturn or to thwart the will of God. And this superhuman power goes by many names. Satan, the devil, the tempter, the evil one, Apollyon, which means the destroyer, and the devil's self-appointed task is to ruin you. It is to destroy you both temporally here in time and for eternity. So, not only are we in darkness, worse, we are darkness apart from Jesus Christ. Roman numeral two, God's prescription for humanity is the light, and that light is Christ he says in our gospel reading, verse 5, I am the light of the world. And John writes in chapter 1, 
The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That is to say, the darkness threatens to overcome the light. But the opposite is the case. The light overcomes the darkness. The darkness yields to the presence of the light. Letter B. The mere presence of the light results in a judgment or a division among people. Now that's odd, because in John 3.17, Jesus says this, God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but to save the world through him. But in our gospel reading for this morning, verse 39, Jesus says, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. So it sounds like a contradiction. So which is it? Did Jesus come to judge or not? Well, Jesus did not come to judge us, but our response to Jesus becomes a self-imposed judgment upon ourselves, either for or against us. Whatever we think of him becomes a judgment that we make regarding him, and that reflects on us. That's the judgment. Verse 39, I think, is the most important verse in John 9. It summarizes the entire chapter. And if you can understand what Christ is saying in verse 39 and verse 41, you understand what the healing of the blind, of the blind man is really all about. The first coming of Christ 2,000 years ago was not for the purpose of judgment. Rather, it was to save humankind through his substitutionary life, death, and resurrection. However, his coming into the world, his very presence among us, results in a response on our part. Verse 16 of our gospel reading says that his coming resulted in a division among the people. And it's no different today. Your response to Jesus reveals where you are spiritually and it reveals what you are spiritually. For example, point number one, the man born blind acknowledges his blindness. He acknowledges his ignorance again and again in the gospel. That's significant. In verse 12, the people say to him, where is he? Meaning, where is the man who healed you? And he said, the blind man said, I do not know. You see, he acknowledges his ignorance concerning the whereabouts of Jesus. In verse 17, the Pharisees interrogate the man born blind and ask him, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And the man responds, he is a prophet. Now the man is correct. Jesus is a prophet, but he is also much more than a prophet. So the man is still ignorant of Christ's true nature. And in verse 24, the Pharisees interrogate the man again, and they try to get him to accuse Jesus of being a sinner. But once again, the man acknowledges his ignorance, saying, whether the man is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And notice in verse 35, Jesus finds the man. That's important because Jesus is the one who seeks and who finds. And that's really setting you up for John chapter 10. Jesus is the good shepherd, but that's another sermon. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, 
And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Notice how the man acknowledges his ignorance of who the Son of Man is. He acknowledges his spiritual blindness. In verse 37, Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. He wor you don't worship a prophet, no. You worship God. Only now does the man truly see who Jesus really is. Only now is he cured of spiritual blindness. Now contrast that with the Pharisees who are so sure of themselves that this man Jesus is a sinner and he's not. He could not be the Christ. Point number two, others, meaning the Pharisees, claim to see apart from Christ or without Christ and they remain in their sin. My friends, there is no knowledge of God's mercy apart from Jesus Christ. Apart from Christ, God is a judge, period. Jesus is the revelation of God's love and forgiveness at the cross. Repeatedly, the Pharisees claim to be in the know about who Jesus really is. He's a sinner. He is a false teacher. I mentioned earlier that nowhere in the Old Testament was there an example of anyone giving sight to the blind. The Old Testament prophets predicted that someday the Lord himself would show up and give sight to the blind. So when it happens, it is proof that God himself is present. He is on the scene. So right before the eyes of the Pharisees, Jesus is doing what God alone can do. He's doing exactly what the prophets predicted, but the Pharisees refuse to acknowledge it. They claim to know God, while at the same time, they reject God in the flesh standing right in front of them. It's obvious they discredit themselves. Their obstinance reveals they are still darkness. They are blind regarding God. So John 9 is about much more than healing a blind man. It's about spiritual blindness and spiritual sight. The healing of the man born blind is symbolic of that. It's about acknowledging our own darkness, our own blindness regarding God, so that we might see clearly God's revelation of himself in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That is why Jesus says in verse 39, and this is the key verse, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see, meaning those who acknowledge their blindness, may see, meaning may come to faith in me, the one whom God has sent. And those who see, who, who claim to know God apart from me, may become blind, meaning that they may be shown to be blind and ignorant of the true God. And then verse 40. Some of the Pharisees heard him say these things, and they said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, meaning if you would admit your spiritual blindness, you would have no guilt. 
meaning you would believe in me and be forgiven. But now that you say we see, meaning we claim to know God without seeing you. We claim to know God without knowing you. Your guilt remains. They remain in their sin. In other words, the Pharisees are saying to Christ, we can see God, we can know God just fine apart from you, Jesus. And that is blindness. To refuse to acknowledge Christ as Savior of the world is not only to remain in darkness, it is to remain as darkness. But to believe in him, to see him as Savior with the eyes of faith is not only to believe in the light and to be in it, but to be light itself. As Paul writes, once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Therefore, walk as children of light. And let her see, the darkness is passing away and it will be no more. I know it doesn't seem that way when you watch the news, but the darkness is passing away and someday it will be gone. John writes, the darkness is passing away. The true light is already shining, meaning already your sins have been forgiven at the cross. Already your sins are forgotten by God and they are no more. Already you've been clothed with Jesus Christ in your baptism. Already you are light of the world. Already the true light shines wherever the gospel is proclaimed and the darkness is passing away. And soon, and I would add, sooner than we know, the darkness will be no more. Revelation 21 describes heavenly glory in the following manner. And the city, meaning the church in glory, the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light the nations walk, and the kings of the earth bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no more night. No more night. No more darkness. No more darkness that lives in us opposing God every day. No more darkness surrounding us, opposing us as we walk in the light. That is the future of all who pass from darkness to light and from blindness to sight. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, amen.